0: Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Executive Insight Podcast. My name is Elliot Sloan with the McCallum Group. And today we'd like to welcome our special guest, Dr. David Berger, the CEO at University Hospital at Downstate. Thank you for your time today, Dr. Berger. Please tell us a little bit about your professional background, and we'll talk more about the health system that you are uh, operating.
1: Sure, Elliot. Thank you so much for having me today. My professional background began really when I went to medical school at at Downstate where I'm now the CEO and subsequently became a general surgeon and did my training here. I'm actually a surgical oncologist and did my surgical oncology training at MD Anderson in Houston. Uh, I thought I was gonna be on a typical academic surgical track, be a productive faculty member, then potentially a chairman and a dean someday. But during my career, I had some opportunities to become actually a healthcare administrator and healthcare leader. And I thought I could have more impact as a hospital leader or a health system leader. And I sort of changed my career in that direction. And to supplement my medical background, I got a master's degree from Harvard in healthcare management. Wow. So subsequently, I was the operative care line executive at the Michael DeBakey VA. Medical Center in Houston, and then became the CMO, then the Chief Clinical Officer, and eventually the Chief Operating Officer at Baylor St. Luke's Medical Center in Houston, which is the major teaching affiliate for Baylor College of Medicine. And I was recruited to my alma mater back in two, uh, 2020 to be the CEO back here at Downstate.
0: Wow. So you've really seen it all from the front lines of treating patients to... Uh, all the different departments within a hospital system that need to be well-oiled and running smoothly to deliver high-quality patient care. That's one way to put it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I certainly do have a a broad experience in healthcare both from the delivery side as well as from the administrative side.
0: You know, I think it's, it's important to note When executive leaders in health systems were providers themselves, because they really know the nuances and the challenges that happen every single day uh, in the hospital system, whereas some other administrators just don't understand it fully.
1: Yeah, so I don't like to generalize. So I've worked with some great hospital CEOs and hospital administrators who were not clinicians. Sure. But certainly as someone who's a clinician, I am a little biased, but not every clinician is qualified to be a hospital administrator. I think there's another skill set you really need to acquire in order to be a successful hospital administrator. So while for me, I think it's been very valuable to have that clinical experience, I don't think it's impossible to become an effective administrator without
0: it. It's not mandatory, but it helps. In in my point of view, it it helps. Sure. So tell us more about the University Hospital at Downstate.
1: So we are a state-funded institution that serves a socioeconomically disadvantaged population that is extremely diverse. Our payer mix is over 85% government, meaning Medicare, And Medicaid, 45% of our patients are on Medicaid. So we have a very, very challenging patient population, very challenging economic situation, and we really rely on support from the state of New York in order to be able to provide care. When I took over, we had just been through the first wave of the pandemic, and we were the only hospital in the country that was designated as COVID only. So from March of 2020 until June of 2020, we were a COVID only hospital. So the impact of that, when we went back to being a regular acute care hospital was that our volumes were significantly decreased over pre-pandemic.
0: Sure, God bless your nurses and your staff for having to be the frontline heroes for so long and and that's all they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis um you know we've we've heard a lot about healthcare workers getting burnt out your your team has felt it worse than others
1: so we are working with uh, the greater new york hospital association on a burnout program for clinicians so two of the areas that probably hit the most and this is looking at burnout amongst physicians one is our emergency department physicians, and the other is our hospitalists. So we are going through leadership training that is being sponsored by New York, teaching the administrative staff how best to support physicians. And the other thing we've done is we've created a CEO clinician council for both the emergency Room physicians as well as our hospitalists, where we meet with them on a regular basis to understand what their challenges are, and try to address those challenges in order to address the issue that they're having with
0: burnout. So we all know that there's major workforce workforce issues that are impacting patient care, especially for health systems like yours that are not-for-profit hospitals. Um, talk to me about what initiatives you're taking to help attract and retain a strong workforce?
1: Yeah, so I think there's several things that are really important. And, And I believe one of the most important things is having the right leadership. If you look at management books, they consistently tell you that people don't leave jobs because of pay. They leave jobs because of their managers and the people they work for. So it's really key to have the right leadership in place, make sure they have the tools in order to deal with their workforce effectively. Secondly, people want to work for a place that has a a mission and a purpose, and there's alignment with the mission and the purpose. It's very different establishing the mission if you're a startup and, and you're the founder versus if you're joining an organization. So what I did when I joined Downstate to understand the mission, and I stole this from Simon Sinek, who does a great podcast about organizational why, is trying to find out the why. Why did the people who are currently here work here and why did they want to stay here and why did they feel that this organization was important for the community and based on their why and the why that the people here identified that's how we crafted our mission statement so by having a powerful mission statement that's aligned with purpose that's another way of attracting uh, people to your organization one of the things that we've learned is that timeliness of making an offer is very important so Nurses, especially technicians, additionally, have multiple opportunities nowadays. Like they can basically write their ticket and go anywhere. So if they're interviewing at multiple different places, what we have found is that they will usually take the offer that comes the quickest. Even if there's a $1,000 or $2,000 difference, they won't wait. To the other offer they'll take the one that's generated quickest so we've really tried to work with our hr department to speed the time from interview to
0: offer do you think they go for the offer that was given to them the quickest because that is a sign that that organization is the most interested in their value that they bring to the organization regardless of what they're willing to pay there's a sense of, oh, they wanted me the most because they came back to me the first.
1: Yeah, I think that's part of the psychology. The other part of the psychology, I think, is people say, well, if they're able to come up with the offer that quickly, this is a higher functioning organization I'm going to work with. So I think it's probably both things. But yeah, it's someone comes to you within a short period of time and says, we really want you, versus you sitting there waiting for an offer, you don't know what they're thinking, Maybe they don't like me. So I think you, you're right about that, Elliot, that that is part of the psychology of why the, the quickest offer is often the one that's taken. Sure.
0: Yeah, so from doing your internal research, I'll call it, what was the biggest why for a lot of your staff? You know, You know, people who might work at the Mayo Clinic is a much different why than the people who work at University Hospital at Downstate.
1: So the why was, I'll give you one word, community. The people who work here, probably 80% of them live in the community. They grew up in the community. A lot of them were born in the community. And they realize that the community here struggles with disparities in healthcare. And they work here because they want to address those disparities. So very, very strong why. It's about taking care of the community. Yeah,
0: it's their family. It's their friends. It's the people they've known and loved their whole lives.
1: Right, exactly.
0: The problem, especially for a hospital like yours that's not-for-profit, is being able to compete on a compensation level, right? Um, The nursing rates have gotten astronomical. What do you think needs to happen on a whole society level or an industry level to bring down the rates for nurses? Of course, knowing that we all show so much love and support and respect for nurses and the work that they do and we believe they should be paid accordingly for you know putting their um, you know putting themselves at risk and always providing excellent patient care. But it's gotten out of hand. What do you think needs to happen to bring down the rates for nurses?
1: Well, where it's really gotten out of hand is the amount we pay agencies. Sure. So agencies take a significant amount above what the nursing salary is. So one one strategy almost every health system has is to hire as many nurses as they can so they don't have to rely on agencies it's a matter of supply and demand. There's a significant shortage of nurses. So certainly we need to train more nurses. And as I said before, some of the other things is change how we think about nursing and specifically identify what is a nursing function versus what is a non-nursing function. And then being able to use lower wage people to provide the non-nursing functions.
0: Stop putting things on their plate that just aren't aligned with what they were expected to do as a nurse.
1: Right. They need to function to the top of their license. And I yep. think that are not at the top of the license need to be done by other people. Sure.
0: And then I guess the second part to that is to encourage more young students to get into nursing programs? Well, whenever
1: there's a recession, usually a lot of people go into nursing. So it really varies on the economic times. Economics will drive what people want to do. Since we have a nursing school, one of the things we're trying to do is incentivize the nurses from our nurses, nursing school to work for us, to sure. pay for a year of tuition for each year they're going to work with us or provide other incentives.
0: Let's talk a little bit about value-based care. How important is it for your health system to help the community adopt preventative medicine practices and to be able to reach those patients before they show up in the hospital?
1: Part of our mission, as I mentioned earlier, is to improve the health of our community and and eliminate health disparities within our community. So we deal with a lot of social determinants of health, non-medical social determinants, and therefore food insecurity, transportation, education. Those are all housing. Those are all things that are important in our community. So we strongly believe preventative care is optimal care. And we are working right now with the mayor's office in New York to develop a lifestyle medicine program.
0: And do you see value-based care programs being the future of the way health organizations and health systems uh, operate with the payers? So I think how health
1: care is paid for in this country is going to continue to evolve. I think that some of the value based programs have seen positive results. Uh, I'm not sure they're the be all and end all. So, for example, bundled payments are very effective if you're having a joint replacement or you need to have a coronary artery bypass. But how do you apply a, a bundled payment for someone with diabetes over a long period of time? The things with short episodes of care, bundle payments are probably an interesting way to go. And with the key, I think, to effectively implement value-based payment is there needs to be closer alignment with the payers and the providers, right? So the systems that are really doing it the best have that tight linkage. If you don't have those that tight linkage, there's different incentives on each side of the ledger. To make it win-win, you need to figure out how the providers and the payers can work more closely together.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely um, a lot of issues with our healthcare system that are just so complex, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution. Uh,
1: that is for sure. And you have competing interests that all employ uh, high-dollar lobbyists. Sure. Uh, so it's very difficult to get it properly aligned. I think by incentivizing quality, we have made some Improvements, but certainly we still have a long way to go. Sure.
0: Dr. Berger, I know you're extremely busy, so I'm going to leave you with one question here and I'll let you uh, get back to the day to day operations over at University Hospital at Downstate. Um, How important is the culture at a health system and how do CEOs and other executive leaders make a difference?
1: Yeah, so I think culture is really critical. And the way CEOs make a difference is by helping to set the culture. So I spoke a little bit about it earlier in terms of identifying your mission. But it's also important to identify your mission, vision, and values, or your why, your what, and your how. And then you have to live it on a day to day basis and communicate, communicate, communicate. I took over a distressed organization. And how do you change the culture in the distressed organization? Well, in healthcare, everyone can rally around quality and patient safety, right? Sure. So we decided to go on a high reliability journey. Focusing on quality and patient safety and using our mission, vision, and values to guide that high
0: reliability journey. Well, Dr. Berger, thank you again for your time. It's been a real pleasure chatting with you today.
1: Well, thank you so much, Elliot. I enjoyed it. Best of luck to you. Yeah,
0: thank you so much. I know our audience will thoroughly enjoy hearing some uh, valuable insights and experiences from you. So thanks again. Sure. Have a wonderful day. You too.